You are listening to the Twibbly Podcast, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year. Comedy podcast looking back at This Week in History. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Podbean, or wherever you like to get your podcasts from. You can find us and or message us over on Facebook and Instagram using TWWWBLY. to Twibbly, or this week was way better last year. My name is Bill with one L. With me, he's all about that bass, about that bass, no treble. It's Mr. Jeff McLaughlin. I am nothing but treble. Uh-huh. I like that. Nothing but uh-huh. treble. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, don't want you, I don't want you hanging around with that McLaughlin kid. He's nothing uh-huh. but treble. All right, so what's going on? How are you? Oh, man, I'm good. Hey, hey, Jeff. See any good movies lately? <laughs> I I would like to thank you for making it possible for me to never forget the name Metal Storm, The Destruction of Jared Sin, uh, <laughs> a film that we misappropriate the title to almost every show because you sent me a Blu-ray of it, and yes. I've watched it. And did you? Yes, I did. And yes, uh, I did. and you returned the favor. I was I very did. delighted to find in my mailbox a few days later a DVD, no, sorry, a Blu-ray copy of Space Hunter Adventures in the Forbidden Zone. Yes, the film that we usually mistake for. <laughs> yes. Metal Storm, The Destruction of Jared Sin. Yes, I watched Space Hunter just the other day. I watched Metal Storm just the oh, other day. Awesome. And how is it? Was it as good as you remembered? Uh, it was, there's a lot less dialogue in that movie than I remembered. Oh, really? Like, yeah, there's, there's like 10 or 15 minute sequences of just people driving around in a sand pit. Oh, no. <laughs> it's just like, what? Yeah, it's a chase scene. Okay, well, they've got $80 to spend on go-karts, and that's what I'm going to be watching for the next 20 minutes. <laughs> and sometimes it was the same chase with the scenes re- rearranged. Oh, I've um, seen that. I've yes, seen movies like uh, that before. It was unnecessarily entertaining. Or well, more entertaining than I thought it would be. Jared yeah, said to Revenge of the Stock Footage. Yeah, it was definitely like, didn't I just watch that car go by that same sand dune? Yes, yes, I did. I saw four times. <laughs> it was definitely a victim of its budget. It was directed by Charles Band, who you may know from Full Moon Entertainment. He did like the Puppet Master movies and yes, okay, demonic toys and all that stuff. And this movie is just a pastiche of stuff that he stole from other movies. So it's got pieces of Star Wars and pieces of Stagecoach, sort of, and pieces of... A lot of pieces of the Road Warrior just all jammed together. That guy must get like no budget from the movie companies or something like that. It's like, well, I'll give you ten bucks because all his movies are super cheap looking. The Puppet Master movies do not, look, you know, they're not known well, for their great special effects. Well, he finances them. It's like he pays for them. Oh, There's no why. studio involved. He owns the studio. It's Full Moon Entertainment. So. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So, okay. so he's like, how much money do I have? I don't know. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pawn my watch so I can shoot another. <laughs> We need to fix the tire on one of the go-karts. All right, my review of uh, Space Hunter Adventures in the Forbidden Zone, I was shocked to see that Richard Maul is not in that movie. <laughs> He's not playing a one-eyed uh, char- a character that resembles a 1930s American Indian Western stereotype? No, because he's in Jared Sid, the one that yes, I sent he you. Is. The one that yes. we always get confused. So, so that's, the, Maul- that's the character that he is in in, yeah. in The Destruction of Jared Sid. 
So Molly Ringwald, of all people, is in yep. Space Hunter Adventures in the Forbidden Zone. Her character is insufferable. I was yes. like really just hoping that she was going to die. But- <laughs> and apparently very smelly because she gets forcibly washed by the main character yes, at one I re- point. <laughs> I remember that scene whenever I saw it in the theater. I saw I saw that movie in the theater because it came out in the 80s. Remember yep. there was that like three or four month period in the 80s where every 3D movie came out? Yeah, the, of of them all, the only one that I didn't see in the movies was Coming At Ya. I didn't see that in the movies, but I have it on DVD, and it is impossible to get through. That movie's terrible. Yes, it's a Tony Anthony movie. Mm-hmm. I also saw The Treasure of the Four Crowns, of which there are only three crowns in the film, also <laughs> starring Tony Anthony in 3D, and nice. it was the most boring 100 hours I've ever spent in a cinema, <laughs> and my dad told me after that one that I was no longer allowed to pick the movies. <laughs> Interesting bit about Space Hunter Adventures of the Forbidden Zone, not sorry, Richard Mall, is in the climax of the movie, there is a scene in there that I don't know who wrote Rise of the Skywalker, but they saw Space Hunter, that's for sure. Yeah. Because the apparatus that the big villain guy is attached to looks just like what Palpatine is attached to at the end. Of uh, yeah. Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, yeah I've it's, heard that before. It's like of all movies to rip off, it's like, well, nobody's seen it. So well, like, like, the only person the who's going to notice is Bill. That's it. The guy that played him in, in Space Hunter, that's um, Michael Ironside. Why do I know yeah. that name? Because he's been in a million. He was in uh, Starship Troopers. He was in. Oh, no. Oh, all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's been oh. all kinds of stuff. Character actor. But he's oh. like w- relatively well known. So he played Senator Palpatine in Space Yeah, yeah exactly. Yes. Yes, you might as well have. Oh, yeah. Now, what did Richard Ball do? <laughs> All right. So uh, before we move on to the show proper, uh, I, I do have my very popular and always uh, very well-received trivia question for you. Uh, okay. Right. Out of all the state capitals in the United States of America, which one is the most heavily populated? You know, most times... The capital city is usually, not always, but usually the ca- uh, the capital city is the most populated area of the state. So, which state has the highest populated state capital? Which state has the highest populated state capital? Ooh, yeah. that's a good question. Not bad, huh? I'll, yeah, that's not a bad one at all. I'll have to think about that. Hmm. All right, but this is going to be the week beginning January the 31st, and I believe, if my spider senses uh, are tingling in the right direction... It is your turn to start. Your spider sense is tingling in the right direction, and it's also the beginning of what will become to be known in the history books as Chimpanzee Week on Twibley. It's Monkey uh, Week! It's Monkey Week. It's Monkey Week here at Twibley. You blew it up! You bastards! <laughs> you blew it up! January 31st, 1961. Ham, the chimpanzee, named for Hamilton, the guy that was the head of NASA at the time, okay. is the first primate shot into space. He's shot up 158 miles into suborbital space and then brought back down safely in the Mercury Redstone 2 rocket. Ah. Generally, when animals were shot up into space, they were shot up into space and their carcass was examined when they got back. Right, yeah, I remember. Hamilton made it back on time and he was trained to push a particular button when a blue light came on. Uh Uh-huh. And that would transition him to the descent position. Okay. 
And he had to be trained to do that. And the way that they did it in the lab was they had a little blue light that came on in the seat that he was put in. And if he hit the blue light within five seconds, he got a piece of banana. And if he didn't do it in five seconds, he got an electric shock to his feet. <laughs> he was conditioned to hit this button and effectively save himself. So he's up there in suborbit. The blue light comes on. He hits the button. He's like, hey, where's my banana? <laughs> hey, it feels like I'm going down. <laughs> and that's what happened. And then he, he went off and he lived in a zoo until like the 1980s. Huh. Being an attraction of, I don't think they put him in like an astronaut costume, but he definitely was. Uh, he was his story was also used as the worst movie I've ever seen in my life in the cinema. Project X, Space Chimps. Oh, Space Chimps. I th- oh, did you ever see Project heavens. X with uh, Matthew? I saw Project. Project. Project X is the Space Hunter Adventures in the Forbidden Zone to <laughs> Space Chimps, the Metal Storm, the Destruction of Jared Sin of films. Okay, so so Matthew Project is the. Richard Maul in this story. <laughs> right. Matthew Broderick is uh, Molly Ringwald. Oh, okay. Uh, I've never seen screen. Space Chimps. I did see Project X, which was not in 3D. It should have been, though. I can simulate Space Chimps for you. When you're at the gym, like you and I both go to the gym, right? Sure. When you're at the gym and, you're, and you're, you're taking a 25-pound plate off of one of the racks, but you don't spot that there's a 10-pound plate in front of the 25-pound plate, and you drag it off and it falls directly onto all of your toes? Yes. That's like sitting through Space Chimps. <laughs> it's, it's like the Franks and Beans scene from Something About Mary. Yeah, just imagine that scene just repeated over and over again. Um, hey, something that monkeys like to do is uh, fling their dookie at one another. Ooh, and they do. February the 1st, 1994, Green Day releases their uh, their album, Dookie, which I believe is their third album, but it was their first major. Yeah, that was their first major, major album. They came out of the L.A. punk scene, and um, Dookie went, had three or four singles in the, uh, yeah, that charted? Three that I can think of off the top of my head. That album was absolutely, like phenomenal, and I don't mean like it was a, it was a great album, because it is a great album. But I mean, that album sold a billion records. That album is actually the reason why the Ramones broke up. Because, huh. yeah, because Johnny Ramone, I remember seeing him in an interview. He goes, you know, we've released that album a bunch of times over our career, and we've never sold a million copies. And then these guys come out, and they're doing exactly what we're doing. They sold 20 million copies of this album, John. You know what that number is like to me? It's like a giant rotating quarter in space. It's That's so much... I, I can't even put a, a, a visual to that number. That's a tremendous amount of records. Yeah. And I was one of the 20 million that purchased it. Uh, so, so was I. I think it's great. I'm looking over the track list, and I remember that... Like, the, the entry point for that record, I think um, Welcome to Paradise was the first single that I heard from it. Uh-huh. And then Basket Case, and then When I Come Around. And when I heard When I Come Around, I was like, this is the song that's going to drag the rest of the people along with this band. Sure, sure was. Because it's a little slower, it's less of a punky song, it's more poppy. Yep. And it, that song, it still gets played on rock and roll radio. I worked with this guy, and I think I mentioned him either last week or a couple weeks ago, whatever it was. I told you he was like destined to be a townie. I had gone over his house to borrow something. I don't even remember what it was. And I'm looking through his CD collection. It was, you know, it wasn't a big collection, probably about maybe 50 or 60, but it was all rap. There was just rap albums, nothing but rap. And that's fine if that's what you're into. But he did have three rock and roll albums. One by Aerosmith, Tragic Kingdom, I think it was Pump by Aerosmith. Tragic Kingdom by... No doubt. No doubt. And Dookie by Green Day. And then I was like, oh, what's your favorite song on the album? He goes, oh, When I Come Around. I was like, okay. I go, I said, my favorite song on the album, and it still is to this day, Sassafras Roots. 
And he, yep. and he looks at me like I just asked him who the the eighth president of the United States was, like just complete confusion. It's as faster. It's, it's, uh, and I started humming it, and that didn't help. He did not know the song. Yeah. Yep. I go, you have the album, but you don't listen to it? He goes, no, I put it in. I put on When I Come Around, and I take it out, and I put something else in. We both come from the era where it was cassette tapes. We're from the cassette tape generation, yes. Bill. Where When I Come Around is on the record, it's like the third song on side two. Yeah, it's deep. Yeah, it's pretty deep, yeah. It's deep. You got to either have an auto reverse or auto stop fast forward tape deck, which are expensive, or you got to go click. Nope. Click. Also, nope. Oh, overshot it. Back up a little bit and then or just let the tape play out. So you get to feel the whole album. Right. You might find songs on it that you like that are whole different songs than what the singles are. But in CDs, you can just go track one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten and then repeat. Yeah. <laughs> so it never plays anything else. No, I still like Sassafras. It's I, I really, really love the I, I love the lyrics to it. It's a great like punk rock song. I think I think they're all all great punk rock songs. Even when I come around, which is again the birth of pop punk. Yeah. I think is right there. Sure. There was some stuff like this on college radio, but it couldn't crawl out of college radio. Mm-hmm. And then this song just it did it. It made it happen. And then we got what Blink One Eighty Two and kind of No FX and. And a bunch of other bands that were similar. Smash Mouth, I guess you could even throw into that group that came around the same time. Yeah. And, the, the, uh, and made it made radio play. Whenever you get an album that's selling 20 million copies, the, the record companies just scrambled for anybody that they could like put out there. Yeah. They're like, yeah. yeah, they're punk. Look, they got a mohawk. Look at them. So. <laughs> that guy's got on a bowling shirt. Get him out there. Get him out. <laughs> just tell everybody they're punk rock. They're not even close to <laughs> shut up. <laughs> looks like he looks he looks kind of punky and dirty. Do you want money? Do you would you hate money all of a sudden? <laughs> uh Dookie's a great record. And I, I don't think that any of their catalog is bad. I like American Idiot too and some of the other stuff as well. Live record's good. I missed out a lot of this stuff in, in between Dookie and American Idiot, but I will say American Idiot is another one, another phenomenal album. Yeah. Yeah, definitely one to have in a collection. Yeah, top, yeah, top to bottom. Like uh like all killer, no filler. All right, so what do we got for February the 2nd? February 2nd, 1972, controversial Stanley Kubrick film, A Clockwork Orange, opens in the United States. Got an X rating when it first uh, opened, didn't it? It did. It came out for adult audiences only. Yeah. Wonder so, why. Uh, based, <laughs> so the film is a surprisingly accurate, I guess, translation of the Anthony Burgess novel to the silver screen with a few little changes here and there to make it a film, but it retains like, I don't know if you've ever se- you've seen the film, oh, but I have, yeah. for those of you in the audience, it's a, it's a near future dystopia where gangs kind of rule the streets and you spend your time with a gang leader named Alex and go through three periods in his life before he goes to jail, when he's in jail and when he comes out of jail. And it's a, a captivating film. It made Malcolm McDowell a star and introduced the generation of people to Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. <laughs> fantastic, fantastic film. Known for its violence. There's a couple of scenes in that movie that are pretty tough to get through. They're still hard to get yeah. through, yeah. And we've talked about this many, many, many times uh, on the show, where when this movie came out in 1972, that was right at the end of the Hayes Code. Like, the Hayes Code went away in... 67 or 68. Yeah, 67, 68. Yeah, just the beginning yeah. of the... Uh, 
MPAA. Right, yeah, the yeah. Uh, movie ratings and all that. So directors at that point in time were like, whoa, we can do whatever the hell we want? Well, we're going to do whatever right. the hell we want then. And that's right. what happened. That's why that, you know, that movie, Death Wish, came out around the same time, The Exorcist. All of those movies yeah, Wish, are yeah. just absolutely insane with their uh, with the sex and the violence and all that. I used to do movie nights at my house all the time. We watched the the movie and you know it was, it was mixed company and stuff like that and it was a little uncomfortable. My brother absolutely hated that movie. Yeah. But everybody else thought it was, everybody else in the room thought it was really interesting. One thing that struck me was in the third act the author who got uh, assaulted earlier in the movie is now in a wheelchair with a caretaker and the yeah. actor who's a big muscle man playing the caretaker was David Prose. Yes, yeah, Darth yeah, Vader Darth himself. Darth Vader was uh, in Clockwork Orange, yep. There are a bunch of character actors in that film. If you watch it enough, you start to spot them, like the guy that plays Mr. Deltoid, the, uh, <laughs> the school officer, and... Ahoy, 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 like, Mr. Uh, Deltoid! yeah. Yeah, it's the one who he drinks the the water with the dentures yeah. in it. He's so angry, and he comes and he spits in Alex's face when he gets arrested. But anyway, um, the film was super controversial when it came out. I think the only reason that Kubrick had a career that continued after this film, because there was a lot of controversy when it was released. It was banned in Britain yep. for a while, and is because he had had such a triumphant uh, turn with 2001 A Space Odyssey a few years earlier. Right. Which was rated and G. Was which was rated G, which was and was able to sort of parlay goodwill from that into making this film. And then from this film, he went on and he did something before Full Metal Jacket. I think it might have been Tristram Shandy, which is this weird British, like very British 18th century. The Shining was in between those satire. Two. He did The Shining as well. Yes, Stephen King's most, uh, by his own description, most hated adaptation. <laughs> but again, what he, what he's known for is taking these like really complicated and detailed books, distilling them down to their essence and making them filmable. What makes A Clockwork Orange work so well is that distilled down to its essence, it's a very well-structured and relatively easy-to-film story. So he could do things like concentrate on the visuals and the narrative and the language that Burgess uses. Burgess, by the way, absolutely hated the version of the film and doesn't like his didn't like his book oh really yeah i did the uh i did the audio book version of it if you read the book it yes. comes with a like a, a glossary in the back of all the slang that's used um the american version yeah. did, whenever yeah. you have the audio book version you really don't have that luxury but you kind of pick up on it because there's a lot of context clues and stuff like that right yeah there's like some british rhyming slang and some other stuff in there um there are two versions of the book. There was the one that was released in the U.S., which has the last chapter cut off of it because each section of the book is seven chapters long. In the American version, it's seven, seven, and yep. six. And then it was restored in like 1995 in the first released U.S. edition that had the last chapter added to it. When Kubrick filmed it, he filmed the version that was in popular culture that had been released in the right. United States. So it lacks the weird ending that the book has. All right. So continuing on with... Uh with Monkey Week here at Swibley. <laughs> February 3rd, 1953, a chimpanzee named J. Fred Muggs joins NBC's Today Show in an effort to boost sagging ratings. Oh, yeah, Today man. Show's rating, and Today Show's still on. Today Show's ratings were yes. doing poorly, and Muggs was added to attract viewers. Back in the old days on TV where it's like, you know, I don't know if this show's going to make it. We need to do something, too. We need to punch it up a little bit. We got to make it something that people want to watch. What do you, what do you got we for an idea? We need a monkey! <laughs> let's, bring, let's bring in a baby chimpanzee and pretend it's yeah, a news yeah. anchor. That'll go over well. <laughs> 
And I guess it yeah, did yeah, it for may- a while until the actual news anchor started to get jealous of the chimp. And rumor has it that he was spiking spiking, spiking J. Fred, J. Fred Muggs' orange juice with <laughs> with with drugs that made him mis- misbehave. Oh, my God. That's sick and funny at the same time. <laughs> right? Can you imagine that? It's like, remember we talked about the show? Me and the chimp, yes. like the, the right, and the original title was "The Ape and I." Yes, and the, the host of the show's like, "I am not going to be on a show where I'm second build to a monkey, a second banana to a monkey, <laughs> second banana to a monkey." So, Same thing with poor J. Fred Muggs. Yeah. Oh. So uh, yeah, he ended up. Uh, Muggs ended up uh, earning the network. They say over a hundred million dollars in advertising and merchandising. Right. That's a lot can, of freaking even, money, yeah. That's 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 definitely a lot of bananas. Yeah. He was only on the air for a year. And then after that he was he was doing promotional stuff like I'm sure the anchor that was working was like, Can I go open that McDonald's in <laughs> Times Square? Like, no, dude. No, we gotta no, no, you know what? You're the guy that reads the story about the lady who turned hundred and two years old in Topeka, Kansas. Yeah. We're taking Jay Fred and we're gonna go to the McDonald's where all the people are. He's gonna have his banana Big Mac. It's gonna be great. You'll be reporting on it tomorrow. Don't worry. You know? <laughs> So apparently, this is crazy because I didn't know chimpanzees lived this long. Uh, he must be some weird breed or something like that. But apparently, our friend Muggs is actually still alive. Wow. Yeah, he le- uh, he lives in Florida with his girlfriend who has the best name ever, monkey or otherwise. Her name is Phoebe B. BB. <laughs> Phoebe B. BB. Yeah. And she, was all- yeah. she also appeared on the Today Show. Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. Well, it's, it's I guess it's good that they, you know, they. I'm sure they have a long, happy life of living in Florida, contributing to the community that they're in, opening a McDonald's now and then, and <laughs> throwing their feces at people in, in golf carts as they drive by with political flags. Um, <laughs> but I think it's amazing. Just for those of you who remember, chimpanzees as babies are very cute. And yeah. As adults cute. are terrifying monsters who will rip your arms and legs off and then beat your torso with them until you are dead. Yeah. They are cute and cooperative when they're young. <laughs> And, uh, Depending on what's in their orange juice. Yeah, and, yeah, exactly. And then they turn into just like vicious murderers that will just like right. bite your face directly off of your skull. Even when I see films of like every now and then I'll run across a video. It's like chimpanzee sees Handler for the first time in 40 years. And it's like some guy that worked with a chimpanzee in a lab setting. Yeah. You know, in the 60s doing like electrodes in the brain experiments or something. And then the. The chimpanzee lives in a in a big enclosure outside, like a chimp would be, because it can't live in the wild anymore. Right. And the guy w- sort of walks in the thing, and the chimp's like, b- the equivalent of like Brad, <laughs> oh shit, it's Brad, and goes over and like sits with him and hugs him and pulls things out of his hair and like gives him squeezes and all. I'm thinking is like Brad is gonna die. Brad, he is not long for this world. Today's the day Brad loses his face. <laughs> all right. So what do we got for February the fourth? February fourth, two thousand. The video game The Sims developed by Maxis, is released in North America. Soon, soon. I loved The Sims. I, I, I loved it to pieces. I uh, I had Sims 1, 1 and 2. I think I skipped 3, and then I, I had Sims 4. That was one of those games, kind of like America Online, whenever you first got it, that mm-hmm. it was an absolute time killer. You would stop playing The Sims, and then before you know it, it's like, oh, my God, it's 1230. I got to go to bed. I got to work tomorrow. Yeah, yep. It was- yeah, you definitely get lost in it. I remember the very first House of Sims that I set up, the very first time I played it on my Blueberry iMac. Yep. I set the house up and I was like trying to explain to, to Cindy, I'm like, oh, it's like it's like having like a terrarium, you know? It's like having a 
an ant farm. It's great. I, I'm going to set it all in motion, and then and then I can just check in on it right. and see how it's going. So I go out, leave the computer room with it playing, and I go no, do something. And I come that. And I, I come back, and everybody is dead, and the house is burned to the ground. <laughs> <laughs> and it's because, you know, because I didn't know any better. That was like four hours of, of work. I'm making work, air quotes there, of sim work yeah. to set the house up and get it kind of successful and get everybody on a schedule. And then they, they burn the place to the ground. Oh, yeah. I was experimenting with, like, uh, like killing off characters like a horror movie. Uh-huh. They take forever to die. Uh, <laughs> Not if you leave the room. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, uh-huh. But like, you know, you build a swimming pool and then you take, you know, they take the ladder out they, so they yeah. can't, they can't get out. They eventually drop to death. And then there's another one where I just like put somebody in a room and then boarded up the room. There was nowhere, no way for them to get out. And they just yeah the cask of Amontillado treatment yeah I think I think everybody who played The Sims yeah. did that at least once to just, somebody they just sit there cry piss the floor and then they eventually die and then it sucks because then, then your house is haunted with their ghosts you can't get rid of them As I, my goal was to see how many ghosts I could get uh. so I was like seduce and murder all the neighbors um, my favorite part of the game though was like with the Mac version that I had yep. I could skin the characters so I didn't have to build. You know, make pick what they look like. So there are characters of like Superman and Frankenstein and stuff. I know what you're saying, but it sounds like you are murdering them like in a gruesome way. No, yeah. no, 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 no. I know. Built, no. Yeah, uh, put yes. skins on them. Yes, I did that too. Put, put. Yeah. Yes, not skinning them like I would skin an animal. But skinning them like I was adding a, yeah. a, a a skin of pixels over their over their wireframe model, and I had to go in and change like three or four files. To, for the Mac version, yep. because of the file names and all these other things, it was, it was, it was like it took like a half an hour to, to do like three or four Sims, yep. and I ended up having a house with like Frankenstein, Superman, the Human Torch, um, some voluptuous woman, and someone else, and all living together, doing their thing, and then and then trying to one up each other and who could murder the most <laughs> of the neighbors. Yeah, there was like so. websites you could go to and download other skins that people had made and stuff yeah. like that. I remember I downloaded because my next door neighbors were Kiss. Yeah, it was super fun. Yeah, it was so fun. And uh, and I occasionally will go back in and play Sims Four. I have it on my PlayStation, but that's one of those games that, to me, that's a PC game. You gotta, you need the mouse. Playing it with a a controller, like on a platform, uh, on a console game, yeah. isn't the same. That's a mouse control game. It, yeah, it must be really difficult. Yeah. And I'm not sure it's the it's not the first open world game, but it sort of builds on the idea that you can continue to expand that game sort of indefinitely. Right. It's a zero sum game, yeah. Zero sum game, right? It expands out of um, Sim City and Sim Airport and Sim Ant Farm and some others, and it was the, it's meant to be like the little the little sprite characters that are walking around in your city. In Sim City, that's who the Sims are. Right. In the Sims, Max is like, I'm sure they raked in a ton of money for the first like ten years that this game was out there. Huh. And uh, no, this, I, I know people that are still fans of the series. Oh yeah, I don't doubt it. I, I, at some point, I'll probably reinstall Sims One huh. and mess around with it because I never played with the other, the second or third one. I didn't have any money at the time that those were coming out, but I'll definitely go back and play the first one again. All right, moving on to February the 5th, 1978. New Englanders will know this day. It's a day that will live in infamy. February the 5th, 1978 was the start of what is colloquially known as the blizzard of 78, uh, which dumped about four and a half feet of snow. It's 54 inches of snow. That's a lot. 
<laughs> that is a what we call in uh, colloquial terms a metric sh- ton of snow. Yeah, I barely remember it. I mean, I was like eight years old. I barely remember it happening. I do remember being out of school for over a week and just snow piles in the streets and in my yep. driveway that just were there until springtime. I mean, I mean, I mean, well, spring's only like a couple of weeks away at that point or two, you know, eight, eight right. weeks away. But the the piles were so big that they did not melt, you know, for you know, almost two months. My big memories from the blizzard of 78 are my uncle George picking me and my younger brother and cousin up from school, from DeMello school and bringing us home in the snow just before they re- either they just announced that they were releasing everybody from school or he my mother was like go get him right now yeah i mean but demello school well that was only like not even a half a mile from your house right yeah that was not that was not far away at all but it was like whiteout conditions and then i remember that when it was finally over my dad had rallied all the teenagers in the neighborhood and they were all shoveling out everybody's cars and shoveling out the street to try and shovel enough snow so that a plow could come down and clear out the roadway part of the street and and cars wouldn't be buried. And that took like a whole day and a half. Yeah. I mean, we've had snowstorms since then. I remember whenever I lived in the apartment building, you know, down the south end of the city, which, I mean, you couldn't find a parking place on that street in the summertime. Whenever there was snow bans and stuff like that, it was, it was impo- impossible. Right. I remember getting like, I think there was one time we got like three feet of snow. It's like, where are we going to put all of this? There's nowhere to put it. So, yeah, the blizzard of 78, everybody talked about that for years on end. I mean, now, you know, only Generation X and the boomers are going to remember it. Yeah, but I mean, that's like one of those things. Blizzard of 78. I remember Sears, the local Sears, selling t shirts. I survived the blizzard of 78. My dad built an igloo in our yard. Wow. In our little tiny yard, yeah, he built it, and it lasted for months. It lasted until like May. Oh wow! Because it was so thick and big, and he just put a made a big mound of snow and padded it into a igloo shape, and dug out the middle and sprayed it down with water to ice the top. Yeah. And we played in that thing and, until it pretty much filled up with dog shit, <laughs> dog do for the neighborhood dogs. But Let's yeah. wrap up the week on the sixth. Ah, February sixth, nineteen seventy-one. Speaking of people in space, Alan Shepard from the town where I live in New Hampshire here. Uh, and first American in space, take some golf balls to the moon as part of Apollo 14's mission. He wasn't allowed to bring golf balls in and a golf club with him. I'm going to guess for weight restrictions. Yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna imagine the that the, the luggage area was pretty uh, pretty tight over there. I'm sure they were counting ounces, you know, because like it's going to take a certain amount of fuel to get that whole thing into space, right? right? He ended up bringing a, a six iron, the head of a six iron with him that he could stick onto a piece of equipment and make a jury-rigged uh, golf club yeah. and a couple of golf balls to hit, too. So they were... <laughs> And still managed to survive yeah. and keep everybody alive on their way. It was like, yeah, you can't bring any extra stuff on there. And he's like, F- the police. And he brings his golf club up there. Can, I can only imagine, like, I, I I have to wonder, like, how much margin of error do they have in determining what how much fuel they're going to put in, how much thrust they have versus how much weight's there? Like, I never looked at the details of a space launch before, but they must have, like... Weighed the guys, weighed the suits, weighed the whatever they had, all of you know, ounces oh, for right. the squeezable food and everything else because they have to have the right amount of thrust or they're not going to make escape velocity. 
It would suck to not make escape velocity because you got a pocket full of golf yeah, balls. Yeah, I'm going to guess that the uh, the margin of error is slightly over a golf club, but not by much. Yeah. yeah. And he was like, I'm doing it. I'm done. I don't care what they say. I'm doing it. <laughs> right. And he yeah. did it. Yeah, that's the New Hampshire stubbornness for you. But And I'm sure that when he hit that first golf ball and it didn't come back down, he was like, I'm on par. I sliced. That's an eagle. <laughs> <laughs> sliced. It would suck if he sliced and he like broke the window on the lander. Like, oh, no. What <laughs> are you kids is going to have to pay for this that window? A, this is a terrible idea. Now we'll never get out of here. This week's episode of Twibbly is brought to you by Necessary Chances by Norman Duchesneau and published through Austin McCauley. Necessary Chances is a collection of 50-plus stories of actual events told exactly how they happened to the author. The stories span from more than 30 years in the field of law enforcement. As often as possible, the stories are told in a humorous manner because, well, we all deserve a laugh, don't we? The author hopes that this book might inspire one good man or woman to take up the shield someday. In today's world of miscommunication and misunderstanding, the author hopes that somehow, somewhere, a dialogue might open that wasn't there before. Necessary Chances has received five out of five star reviews on Amazon and Austin McCulley. Once again, thank you to Necessary Chances for sponsoring this week's episode. Available on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and through Austin McCulley Publishing. Links will be in the show notes. All right, let's get on to the celebrity birthdays. Uh, January the 31st, 1973, a woman with a very uh, car-sounding first name, uh, your friend of mine, Portia D. Rossi. Oh, yeah, from Arrested yeah. Development. Yeah, she's super funny on that show, and she's a beautiful woman, uh, famously in a long, very long-standing relationship with Ellen DeGeneres. I think they're married. I think they are married. Yeah, you're right. But, like, outside of Arrested Development, I can't think of too much that she's done. Yeah, and actually, neither can I. Huh. Funny as Lindsay Bluth is as a character, yeah. right through both of the, the sort of reboots of the show that came after the season three ending. Uh, I don't know that she's been. I don't know that she's been in anything. Uh, uh, I'm looking at a page now. She's, I mean, she's had, like, bit parts and stuff like Allie McBeal and Better Off Ted and stuff like that. She was in a horror movie called Stigmata, which I saw, which I don't oh. remember at all. And uh, apparently she was in Scream 2. So they tell me. Huh. So they tell me. I don't know. <laughs> I don't really remember her and every, anything else. Yeah. Yeah, go figure. Well, I guess that's why, you know, that's why she sort of came out of left field and people are like, who is this? Yeah. She's great in uh, rest of development. All right. But All right. Next up. February 1st, 1965. Spawn of Bruce Lee. Brandon Lee is born. Oh, wow. Brandon Lee would, would go on to follow into his uh, late father's footsteps and become a martial arts action star in the 1980s, appearing in the film Showdown in Little Tokyo with Dolph Lundgren, and the much better adaptation of J.O. Barr's graphic novel comic book series, The Crow. Yes. That would end up ultimately taking him out sort of a la his father, just as his career was beginning to ramp up. And and The Crow was like... <laughs> Like, must must view for 1990s goths, yeah. Uh, a, a trajectory of, like, upwards at 45 degrees for that guy. And, uh, yeah, just unfortunately to, uh, you know, cut short by a action stunt scene gone wrong. Yeah, mishandling of a weapon on set. Yeah. Stuff happens when people aren't, like, fully in the game, I guess. And, again, he was captivating to watch, even in Showdown in Little Tokyo, which was not a good movie. He mentioned, yeah, um, it's good. Don't bother. It's like Metal Storm, The Destruction of Jared Sin. It's not a good film. Is it Molly Ringwald in that? Um, 
<laughs> no, but neither is Richard Mall. Okay. He, he had a, he had a long way to go, and he wasn't able to ever get there. It's a shame. All right. So next up on February the second, <laughs> this is I love I love weird stories like this. February second, nineteen twenty, is the birthday of Anne Elizabeth Hodges, and she is as listed here, American meteorite victim. <laughs> I need clarification. What? How do you? How are you a victim of a meteorite? Well, she's the only known person to have been injured by a meteorite. Oh, oh! I thought maybe the meteorite had like conned her out of some money. <laughs> Look, I just need to get back to the Oort cloud, and I'm good for it, really. This meteorite fragment, about twelve pounds, right? So yes. you know, a medium medium weight bowling ball comes crashing through the roof of her of her home, bounced off of a, a like a one of those big console radios. Yep. And then uh, she was sleeping on the couch, and it, like, slammed into her. Um, oh. Yeah. Uh, she got a bad bruise on the side of her body. And I'm going to imagine it probably burned her a little bit, too. Those things tend to be a little warm. Yeah, they definitely come in hot, right? Yeah. So another fragment was found by a farmer, like, the next day. And due to the publicity surrounding the farmer, because of the publicity surrounding the event, the farmer was able to actually sell his fragment for enough money to buy a car and a house, right? Oh, wow. Yeah. So Hodges, she's got this you know, meal ticket in her hands over here, but her landlord was like, yeah, you're renting the house from me. Meteorite fell through my house. That's my meteorite. So they go back and forth bickering on who actually owns the meteorite for over a year. Right? She ended up giving the landlord $500 for the meteorite. But by the time it was all, you know, all the dust was settled, the public had lost interest in the story and she wasn't able to sell it. I wonder if just by virtue of it being a meteorite, though, she, she'd ultimately be able to sell it to like a college or university or something. And it seems like something that people with money would still want because there's so few of them on earth. You right. Know? I don't know if she ever recovered her 500 bucks. I'll give you 40 bucks for it. What do we got for the next day? What do we got for the third? February 3rd, 1956, former character actor and current sort of much more mainstream and Broadway star Nathan Lane is born. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. For those, of you who, for those of you who don't know, he sort of comes out of the tradition of musical theater. He was in The Birdcage, yes. which is based on a really funny French movie called La Cage à Fall, which is also The Birdcage in French. Um, uh, you and- no, that's The Cage of Fools. My mom always wanted to go see La Cage à Fall because it's a... It's a it's a uh, it's a show. It's a not a burlesque show, but it's a it's a musical, you know, and uh, with all you know drag queens and stuff like that. My mom always wanted to go see that, but my father was very old school about sort of things. He would never ever 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 go to see that. No way. So when the Birdcage came out, I had gone to see it, and I was like, oh my god, my mother would love this. This is Lakasha Falls, and I remember I took my mom. To the theater, she was an old, you know an old woman at that point. But I took my mom yep. to the movie to go see it, and it had been so long since my mother had been in a movie theater. She had no movie etiquette whatsoever. Like she kept talking, <laughs> she kept talking to me in the movie and not in movie theater voice, like full volume. Right, right, right. Who's that? It's like, Ma, shut up! You're in a movie theater. <laughs> <laughs> he he also he made his first like weird dramatic kind of part when he was he had a bit part in the Adams Family Two. You remember him in Adams Family Two? He has one line. No, two lines. Yeah, when Gomez Adams is is gone to visit Fester, who's moved in with 
the girlfriend with, um, with Debbie. And he goes to the police yeah. and he's like, my brother lives in a mansion. And he says, oh, that's too bad. That's Nathan Lane, the cop. And he says, he's has sex with a beautiful woman every single day. And he goes, oh, that's awful. <laughs> <laughs> he, he drives a Buick and he's like, right. Hook him, book him, and cook him. That's his, those are his oh, lines. Yes. In, no, in, uh, I do remember, yep. In that movie. And then he, he went on after that to be in some other stuff. Really scored big um, as taking over the role of Max Bialystock in Mel Brooks's Broadway version of uh, The Producers yes. with, um, with Matthew, Matthew Broderick. Pro- for Project X. Yes. See? It all comes around in a big circle. Uh, Connections, Bill. Connections. And uh, I think he was in uh, Metal Storm, too. <laughs> oh, is that the one with uh, with uh, Molly Ringwald? Uh, yeah. I believe it is. All right. <laughs> Moving on to February the 4th, 1947. Oh, Jeff. It's a big day. It's our best friend. Here it is. I know. Former Vice President of the United States and potato enthusiast, <laughs> Dan Quayle. Dan Quayle, who wishes everybody in America was a beacon of hope. Spelled wrong. A beacon um, of hope, yeah. A beacon of hope. A beacon of hope with a K in it. Dan Quayle, who, as I have on good authority in kindergarten, spelled his last name K-W-A-Y-L-E, born in 1947. Yep. So, happy birthday, former Vice President Dan Quayle. The former Vice President and friend of the show, Dan Quayle. He and uh, Emperor Norton, uh, a previous guest of our birthday list from this week will shall forever live in the Februarys. All right, next up. February 5th, 1914. Sort of grandfather of the beat movement, poet William S. Burroughs, American surrealist writer, uh, father of Naked Lunch and Junkie and a bunch of amazing poetry, uh-huh. was born in St. Louis, Missouri. I'm not really familiar with his work, but I do know that Naked Lunch was one of those it was very controversial and like banned at the time, but now it's like considered, you know, the great American novel. Well, I don't know if it's the great American novel. It's hard to read and it's confusing, but he's famous for a couple of different literary things. One is the cut and paste method of writing. So he'd write the whole story out and then cut each page into four squares, shuffle the squares, and then tape them back together and then rewrite the sentences that he ended up with. And that would be the final version of the story. And that's the way that Naked Lunch sort of works. Oh. He was a mentor to Allen Ginsberg and to, to Jack Kerouac. He was part of the New York lit scene. He was famous for being an on-again, on off-again heroin addict for his like pretty much his entire life. And for telling his wife, uh, it's time to play William Tell. And she put a, a whiskey glass on her head and he shot her. Jesus. <laughs> killed her. Yeah, not a, not a good day <laughs> to be on drugs with William S. Burroughs. Drugs are a hell of a drug, I guess, yeah. He was re- he became really sort of pop culture and at the end, near the end of his life and did, and did a bunch of narrations for things. There's a couple of good documentaries about his life out there that are worth reading and there's one version of Naked Lunch starring Peter Weller that uh, is one of my favorite writing movies. So, all right, and wrapping up the birthdays, 1917, the woman with one of my favorite names ever, even though it's just a nickname, whatever, Jaja Gabor. Yeah, she's the sister of Ava Gabor. Yes. Right, the uh, Gabor sisters. She was a Hungarian-born American actress. She had a very, a very sexy accent. Uh, she's often, right. often credited with being the first person to be famous for being famous. What I was gonna say was like, I only remember her in one movie. No, you're one up it's on me. Princess of <laughs> Princess of Mars or something. It was this the Queen of Outer Space. The Queen of Outer Space. Yeah, that's the only movie that I know of her even being in. Yep, she was in the very last episode of the Batman television series. Oh, well, that's not a movie. No, no, it's not. 
she played the health spa owner Minerva. Uh-huh. Yep. Most famously, uh, in, in our generation, she's famous for slapping a policeman. She got pulled over. She went in this like long tirade of uh, vulgarities, uh, and, insults, yeah, and ended up slapping the cop in the face. Yep. Unless I'm having a Mandela effect moment. Wasn't she on an episode of The Muppet Show? I don't have that answer. I I have this memory of her and Miss Piggy trying to one up one another. But for the life of me, I don't know if I'm making that up as I go along or if that was a real thing. Could she sing? Did they have her doing a musical number? Or I, I don't know what she did. Again, I only remember her from being in The Queen of Outer Space. And, and I saw that movie and thought, this movie sucks and she's terrible. So I don't know <laughs> I don't know what she was good at, you know? So, I mean, if she was on The Muppets Show, she would have to do like a musical number. Oh, my God. That must have just been... The worst song ever. All right, Jeff, my pick this week for the worst song ever. I don't know if it's a song that I don't like or it's the people that like the song that I don't like because I think that's the case. Maybe. Yeah, the song that I'm going with here is a song called Tub Thumping or more colloquially known as I Get Knocked Down by the band Chubbawumba. Yeah, I love that song. I I do. I like legit love that whole record. I think I have it still. Really? On CD. Up until this morning, I knew three things about Chubbawamba. I knew which were tub thumping, and the other two yep. things that I knew about them were Jack and shit. I <laughs> yeah, I didn't know anything about them, but they're a really, really, really interesting band. They are a really interesting band. Let's let's talk a little bit about the song first before we get into them. Okay, I'll tell you why I like the song. I like stuff that's anthemic at times mm-hmm. and this song borrows a lot from like the singing at a soccer game or football match yes. in the English tradition English football tradition there's a lot of that that is built into this right. the word tub thumping and, actually means like expressing your opinion very loudly like uh fox and friends will say <laughs> right well yes or or everybody's singing like you know, we will never, you'll never walk alone when they're at a, a Manchester United game or a Liverpool game. I can't remember which, I think it's Liverpool has that song as their as their song. But it's got that super singability. It's really easy to remember the lyrics and it's fun. And it's this like, starts a little slower and then it gets a little bit crazier and they add a bunch of horns to it. And then it just repeats this crazy chorus of, I get knocked down, but I get up again. All right, so and you're never going to keep me down up forever. And it's really, really fun to sing along with. Okay, it. I am going to be taking the piss out of this song. But uh, let's let's just play the clip here. Here's the clip. Sure, sure, sure. And the thing is, like, this band, like, you said you have the album and you like the album and that and that's fine because I went back and, you know, today and through Spotify, I listened to, I'm not going to say three complete albums, but I listened to at least four songs off of three different albums from Chubbawamba. And yep. this is like Faith No More, where their most popular song doesn't sound like the rest of their catalog at all. Like if if you're ex- no no don't eh, me okay if you're expecting tub thumping out of Chumbawamba you are going to be sorely disappointed because the rest of this stuff 
Not the rest of it, but a lot of the rest of their stuff sounds like the freaking Carpenters. I don't know. I think Amnesia sounds... That's on this album. I'm talking about the rest of their catalog. Ah, uh, the rest of... I mean, yeah, they, they, they knew they were making a commercial record when they made this yes. one. This is the only one that has commercial hits on it, so I'm not surprised. Right. Yeah, this album so has a lot of, like, almost, like, dance tracks to it. Yeah. Yeah, they're they're totally, like, a weird, like, pubby, dancey pop band. On and that album. They fall into this, that... That's, yeah. that's the thing, is... Their genres jump around so much from album to album. They were around for like right. 30 years. Yeah, they yeah, they played for a long yeah. time. And their genres jump around so much from album to album. It's hard to say I like Chubbawamba because what are they? They don't have like a a, a cohesive line that draws to everything that they do except for their attitude. Well, well, I think that their attitude and their politics comes across in a lot of their other music too. Yeah. Uh again, um, you know, we're not talking about their career as a whole. We're talking about the song Tub yes, Thumping. Which, so, which I am going to argue with you. This song is just so freaking annoying. And like I said, it's not so much the song. It's the people that like it. I mean, the whole, I get knocked down, but I get up again. You're never going to get me down. Like, that is such a uh, beat your chest kind of like, hey, hey, it's it's monkey episode. You know what I mean? It's, it's everybody's had a bad day. Everybody's had a bad day couple of days everybody's had a bad year i understand that people like will hear that song and they're like hey that's me i get knocked down but i get back up again no one's gonna keep me down this is my theme song now it's like yep and you're missing the fucking whole point of the song but i mean again that's the subjective nature of music I, one of the reasons that i i like this song is is it became more important to me when i was recovering from open heart surgery and wasn't sure i was going to survive so like this song in wonderful by gary go and some others became songs that were in regular rotation because it would remind me to you know think positively and and yeah i did get back up and all right i you know try and generate yeah. energy to keep moving forward that's and i like all of that that's stuff. really funny because i was just actually just talking about the song walking on sunshine by katrina and the waves and i have such a great memory attached to that song that i don't even know if that's a good song anymore because it just makes me smile so i hear you when you're recovering from heart surgery and you know, tub thumping, you know, it kind of gets to be a theme song for you. Okay, fine. I'll give you a pass on that. But take that variable out of the equation. This is like a jock jam song. This is the kind of shit that yeah. they play in between plays at a football game. Yeah, like, absolutely. And and I, I don't think that that's anything that they've has ever not been the case. Like I said, it's a, it borrows from the tradition of singing at English football games, which you do continuously. Right. Uh, though it's also funny about the band Chubbawamba is... They are like militant left wing Marxist communists. They're like rage against yeah, they rage of... against the machine with acoustic guitars. They definitely uh, walk the talk. They all lived in a commune together, yeah. and they're like if if everybody in the young ones was Rick. Yeah, when they first came out, like '86, they had started. Uh, you know, that was like the heyday of like the charity singles, and they actually released like a mock charity single and the lyrics were all like making fun of you're not raising money for charity you're just trying to bolster your own image and stuff like that and then um all right so whenever tub thumper the album itself came out you know because that song was so popular they're getting featured on mtv and stuff like that and in interviews they're like yeah we want people to like shoplift and steal our album <laughs> 
they definitely are definitely unrepentant. They got they got paid for another song on this record. They got paid uh, it was like 70, 70 grand or something from Pontiac, so they could use a song as their advertisements for the Pontiac vibe in the United right. States. And they took the money and they gave it to an uh, an, an anti capitalist anarchist group, <laughs> <laughs> which I thought was pretty awesome. And I'm over here looking at their uh, their Spotify, like we do. The number one song is Tub Thumping, and the number two song is Tub Thumping. Yeah, there's a bunch of remix albums well, of that Well, it's not song. so much a, a remix album as it is, and here's me making my case in point. It's on a compilation album called All-Star Sports Jams. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't yeah. surprise me. The people that like this song are not going to like Chubbawamba. Yeah, they were not going to buy any of the yeah. other records, that's and for sure. And conversely, everything that I listened to today from Chubbawamba, I liked and I will go back and listen to, but I will skip right yep. over this track. I think this is a good one in their ov- overall fan of records, so I like this Oh song. my God, do you like Epic by Faith No More too? Yeah, I do. <sighs> Again, I can't. I saw Faith No More live on that tour, and I can't name any other songs uh, that they do other than that it's, one it's, and the it's, Lionel Richie song that they did. It's easily their worst song. So... Anyway, thanks for liking my bad song, Jeff. Uh, <laughs> That's all. At least I could do. So that I, I this is this is your revenge against me for liking the Grinch song, I guess. So anyway, True. wrapping up the show. But before we do wrap up the show, yeah. I have my trivia question, uh, which was: out of all the state capitals, which one has the highest population? The highest population in the state capital. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's me. That's my thinking sound. <clears throat> I know that Boston's population doubles every workday from about 550,000 to 1.2 million. So I'm going to go with what I what I think is it's probably Boston. You think so, but it's not. As a matter of fact, Boston, Boston is number six. Uh, the most populated state capital, which has one million more people living in it than in Boston. Boston's uh, population is 710,000. Phoenix, Arizona has 1.7 million people living in it. Oh, okay. Yep, yep. Uh, the top five are Phoenix, Austin, Texas, Columbus, Ohio, Indianapolis, Indiana, and Denver, Colorado. Okay. There's your answer. You lose. You get nothing. You stole fizzy lifting well, drink. Huh? Anyway. I get knocked down. God. But I get up again. Go, go. I'm just going to keep singing it to you every show. Go drink a whiskey drink and a, and a vodka drink and a... And a cider drink. All right. Yes. Uh, But that's going to wrap up the show. We'll see you back here in seven days. We're going to be pissing the night away. Say goodnight, Jeff. Goodnight, Jeff. Bye. Bye, everybody. Bye, guys. Hey, thanks for listening to Twibbly, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year. Special thanks to James Coster for our theme music. You can find us and message us on Instagram and Facebook using T-W-W-W-B-L-Y. Don't forget to tell all your friends about our podcast. Tell them it's like Shark Week, but for like more weeks and less sharks. <laughs>